if you have an uh, offering that you'd like to send in, uh, make it out to Winber Assembly, uh, Box 361, Winber, PA, 15963. So we're grateful for all the things that the Lord has done. Um, grateful for today, it's Communion Sunday. And um, I'm doing something a little different. Usually we take communion uh, in the song service. And I always like, well, it's my tradition. Um, but today we're going to do it a little different. We're going to receive communion after the, after the message. And the title of my message is The Lord's Supper, Communion, What Does It Mean? You know, what does it mean whenever we're talking about communion and uh, partaking of the, the different names that it is called, and one of them is the Lord's Supper? We know that communion has been celebrated by the Christian faiths for over 2,000 years. Some call it the Eucharist, and some call it the Lord's Supper, and some call it communion. It is a ceremony that both unites the Christian churches and also divides the churches. Communion is expressed as an expression of our common faith in Jesus Christ, of our understanding of his death and his resurrection. And we see it written in the scriptures, uh, the night in which Jesus was betrayed. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Yet at the same time, there are various aspects of the ceremony of communion that causes sometimes enormous controversy. Example, when should it be celebrated? We, we have communion every once a month, first Sunday of the month. Uh, some churches have communion every service. Uh, some have it once every six months. Some have it once a year. Uh, so, you know, there are different, different formats. Well, who should administer it? Who should give it? Well, some believe that it's only an ordained clergy is, is allowed to give communion. Well, who should partake? Is it open or closed? Open means that we have an open communion service, that anyone is open to receive communion, because basically it's, um, it's on you whether or not you're in a right standing with God. But some have it as a closed service, that if you are not baptized in their church, you cannot partake of communion. Well, what type of bread do you use? Well, what type of wine or juice? <laughs> that becomes a controversy. So, what happens to the bread whenever it is blessed? You see, all these things, there's, there's, you know, we have, well, we try to keep it pretty simple and straightforward, but there are all these things that go into what is communion and how that we can talk about communion and you can mention it to someone else and they're going to have an entirely different picture based on their denominational background. So in the midst of the controversy, it's easy to get sidetracked with the, from the central message is that Jesus, he, sac he gave his life for us. It's his sacrificial death that we are remember remembering. And communion fundamentally then is all about Jesus. His death, his, his uh, broken body, his shed blood, and his resurrection. So focusing on Jesus helps us to, avi to avoid some of the characteristics that distract us by all of these issues. Jesus instituted communion. He's the one who told us that and his disciples to remember him, to remember what he is doing. And so communion is something that is very, very important. But at the core, communion is a celebration. 
We are celebrating the, the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what he, at that time when he initiated, what he was about to do. It reminds us and declares to those partaking that Christ was with us, Christ is with us, Christ died for us, and Jesus is coming again. That's why I like the idea of safe in the arms of our Father. Um, we'll sing that later at the end, <laughs> uh, whenever we are doing communion. So why is it called uh, the Lord's Supper or communion? Well, communion is an act of sharing. It also means to have in common. So whenever we take communion, it is something that we have in common. Well, what do we have in common? We have in common our faith in Jesus Christ, his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So the, 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 we know that the um, service the night that Jesus was with his disciples, it was a celebration, <coughs> celebration also of Passover. Now, in the Jewish tradition, Passover is the night that the angel of death passed over, you know, when Moses was there trying to get the, the children of Israel liberated from the Egyptian bondage, the last plague was the death of the firstborn child. And so Moses was told, take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost of your home, and the angel of death will pass over your home. Well, they are celebrating that the night that Jesus is the Passover lamb, who is the sacrifice for our sin. So our foundation of celebrating communion is based upon the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the lamb for uh, Passover for the Jewish faith. So we are very much connected to that because Jesus is the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for the sin of the world. So death, angel of death, the, the second death has no, has no um, control of us. Now, the, to clarify that, the, um, we all know that we're going to die. This body's going to die, okay? That happens. You know, like I said, chances of getting out of here alive are pretty slim, not out of church, but I mean out of, well, out of life. You know, I didn't want you to get frightened or anything. You know, pastor said we're not going to get out of church alive. <laughs> you must be planning on preaching for a long time. So, did you bring your dinner? Uh, but uh, the second death is that after we die, our body then, our soul, the second death is eternal separation from God. The believer doesn't have to worry about that because we are united with Christ in his death whenever we are whenever we ask for forgiveness, and whenever we receive communion. So two other names are the Lord's Supper, and, and it's also called the Lord's Table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, and I'm reading from uh, Philip's translation, so it might be a little different than what you see on the board. Now I am implying, this is Paul, who's writing this to the church at Corinth. Now am I implying that a false god really exists? or that sacrifices made to any god have some value? Not at all. I say emphatically that Gentile sacrifices are made to evil powers and not to the god of all. Now, what's Paul talking about? While he's writing to the church at Corinth, the people in Corinth, it was a very morally corrupt place. <laughs> they were known for their drunkenness and their orgies, they were known for their many gods that they worshipped, and they also had the temple of Aphrodite there, and a Greek god, and they had over a thousand prostitutes in the, in this, in the temple, and, so, and, and they had all these pagan worshippers going on. So when Paul is telling them about 
the supper or about Jesus Christ, the people in Corinth were just like, well, we go out here to the, to the neighborhood and uh, we have these sacrifices to these idols and we come in here and we take this communion to this, this God. So it was just one God among many. many. And Paul's saying, no, it's not that way. <laughs> so when he's writing to the Corinth, Corinthians, he's telling them, I don't want you to have any fellowship with such power. <laughs> That's what he told them. Um, you cannot drink both the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. So you can't come in and participate in that which is sacred to Jesus Christ and go out and participate with the cup that you would, you know, the drunkenness that you would have to an idol. You can't do that. You, you belong to one or the other. And Paul's telling them you can't do it. You, can't, you cannot be a guest at the Lord's table and at the table of devils. So you can't do that. And so the, the Corinthians, they didn't know any different. You know, they have no traditions in Christianity. They were the first century. They were the first believers. And so they don't, they don't know what's expected of them. And we find that whenever Paul is addressing, they, he finds that there's this going on in the church, that people are participating in one sense out in the community, in the temples, and worshiping there and coming into the the church and worshiping there and Paul says you can't do that he says are we trying to arouse the wrath of God (laughs) and then I I like this phrase he says have we forgotten how complete we are in his hands (laughs) how completely we are in his hands so whenever we start recognizing that this of, of worshiping God and how that God is with us we are completely in his hands body soul spirit mind so whenever we're in this relationship with christ it's not part way it's entirely and so the idols and things offered to them have no spiritual nature so paul's telling them those idols have no spiritual nature they're just wood stone you know they're nothing more than carvings of men so they have no power in themselves now if a pagan worshiper believes an idol was a god, well, then we have the people with the satanic or demonic activity associated with them. And Paul's telling him, leave that stuff alone. So we have the Lord's Supper. We have the Lord's table. You, have, you, you cannot be a guest at the Lord's table and what he's referring to, communion. You cannot, be, you cannot participate at the Lord's table and go out and be part of worshiping idols. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Another name. We give thanks for the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing. The cup of blessing is a symbol of his blood shed for our sins. That when Jesus, you know, takes the cup, this is, you know, the blood, you know, talks about his lifeblood being given for us. And so the blood of Jesus Christ is shed for the forgiveness of sins. So we give thanks for the cup of blessing, that, which is a sharing, a fellowship in the blood of Christ, and the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. So whenever we partake of, and I know this is just a small <laughs> little container here, but whenever we partake of the bread, we are partaking of the bread, the, the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. Now, Whenever we pray and whenever we look at this, we look at it as saying these are symbols of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. 
there are some who believe that whenever they have these symbols, they actually turn into the body and blood of Christ. And so, and that Jesus is dying once again for the, for the sins of the people who are partaking of, com, of this communion or Eucharist. So we do, not, we do not believe that Christ dies again every time we receive or partake of communion. So the cup of blessing then is commenting on the Lord's Supper was a regular and cherished practice in the early church by which believers remembered their Savior's death and celebrated their common salvation. We remember Christ's death, and we remember our common salvation, his forgiveness. So, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Lord's table, the cup of blessing, the breaking of bread. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. This is after Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And uh, it says, And those who welcomed the message were baptized, and on that day alone, about 3,000 souls were added to the number of disciples. So this is after Peter's, after Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they were speaking in tongues and the languages. People heard the message of God coming from all these people, uh, and then they believed Peter's sermon, and they believed in Jesus. And he says, about 3,000 people came to believe in Christ. They continued steadily learning the teachings of the apostles, joined in their fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. So the breaking of bread is a reference to communion. For some, the communion, I didn't realize this, but for some churches and some denominations, communion is mandatory. <laughs> if you don't take it, there's something wrong with you and you can be brought, brought before the church. You know, but we have it, it's open, that it's up to each individual to determine. But in, in reality, there's no good reason for a believer not to partake of communion. And we find that in a sense that um, when we go on here, the early church was called, um, in the early church it was also called the Eucharist, which is a giving of thanks, that's what it means. So the Roman Catholics called the celebration of Mass, and the blessed bread and wine, the Eucharist, from the Greek word meaning thanksgiving. Roman Catholics believe that the bread and wine, when specially blessed, become the body and blood of Jesus. Now, as I said, as Protestants, we, 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 do, not, uh, we do not accept that or believe that. And we find that communion is the verb, being in communion with saints, while the Eucharist is the noun referring to the person of Jesus. So we, we don't use that term Eucharist. We use the, the other terms that we've been talking about, breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, those types of things. One of the, the scriptures that we look at differently is that Romans chapter 6, verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. What that, what that verse is implying is that Jesus died once and for all for sin. So 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross. He doesn't die again. <laughs> so some faith believe that whenever you uh, pray over the, the, the elements, they become the body and blood of Christ, and he dies all over again. Well, as Protestants, we don't believe that. We believe that he died once and for all, and that's enough. 
and that he, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, pr- praying for us. So, you know, our understanding of the scriptures points in that direction. So, and as I said, we have an open communion that people can feel free to participate in communion or not, and others, if you're not of their faith, you can't have it. There are four accounts of the ordinance of communion, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. So those all have references to what we are talking about. So what is the purpose? What is the purpose of communion? Well, the purpose is to to commemorate the death of Christ. Jesus is the one, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus tells us to do it. So it isn't like somebody decided one day, you know, we should do this. No, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It signifies and applies to believers all the benefits of the new covenant. You see, whenever we look at the new covenant, the covenant is that Jesus promises us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that all things are possible to those who believe, that um, start reading through the promises, those are the promises of the new covenant, that you will have eternal life, your sins will be forgiven, uh, they will never be remembered against you again. Those are all signified in this taking of communion, that they are trying to bring those things into reality into our life, that all of the promises of the new covenant are ours because of what Jesus has done for us. See, it isn't about us being uh, worthy. (laughs) He's the one who makes us worthy. So whenever we confess our sins, he's the one who forgives us, and this is a celebration of what he has done for me. Now, um, in the ordinance, Christ ratifies, he makes it official that his promises to his people are given to us. It's like, the things that I have promised you, I give to you. And I'm, I'm solidifying it, I'm ratifying it, I'm giving you the contract, and this is what you do to remind yourself of the contract. <laughs> so, the elements used to represent Christ's body and blood are bread and wine, or we use juice, grape juice. Um, some people, why don't you use wine? Well, uh, we, don't, we believe in a uh, total abstinence from alcohol, okay? Now, if you take wine in other churches, are you going to hell? No, <laughs> but we, we just don't use alcohol in the, in the communion service. We use grape juice. And uh, because other people use wine, is that wrong? No, it's just we don't. So we're not trying to divide you drink, you drink wine, you're all going to hell. No. <laughs> the celebration is Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. The kind of bread, whether it is leaven or unleavened, you know, what kind of bread are you using? <laughs> well, again, the unleavened bread would have been what Jesus used because that's what was the tradition with Passover. All right. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 32. And this is Paul um, talking about communion. And the interesting thing here, you know, I remember when I first, years, when I was, whenever, (laughs) I can remember, I first remembers of reading this, my thought was, well, Paul, how did you know all this stuff? Did you talk to the disciples? 
(laughs) Did they tell you what happened that night? Because you weren't there. Paul says to us, I am telling you what I received of the Lord. So Paul is saying, Jesus Christ told this to me. (laughs) And it matches exactly what the disciples had. The teaching I gave you is the same that I received from the Lord. Okay? On the night when the Lord Jesus was handed over to to be killed, he took bread and gave thanks for it. Then he divided the bread and said, This is my body, it is for you. Eat this to remember me. In the same way, after they ate, Jesus took the cup of wine. He said, This cup represents the new agreement, new covenant, the new agreement from God, which begins with my blood sacrifice. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. This means that every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are telling others about the Lord's death till he comes again. Now, I'm reading from the easy read version, so it's maybe a little different than the King James. But notice that he says, every time you, are tell- every time you take, drink the cup, eat the bread, you are telling others about the Lord's death until he comes. All right, let's go on. So if you eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in a way that does not fit its meaning... You are sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Before you eat the bread and drink the cup, you should examine your own attitude. If you eat and drink without paying attention to those who are of the Lord's body, your eating and drinking will cause you to be judged guilty. That is why many in your group are sick and weak and many have died. Now remember, remember we said that he was talking about the, the people worshiping idols? And coming in, they were, they, were taking, they were worshiping idols and coming in and drinking and taking communion. And Paul says, you can't do that. So you have to examine yourself that you are in right standing with God. And if you continue to do that, you are going to be sick. God is going to, you're going to bring judgment upon you. But if we judge ourselves, now here again, we'll talk, we're going to talk about it. If you judge yourselves, the judging of ourselves is by the grace and the mercy of God not by the whip of you've done something wrong 20 years ago and you don't deserve communion. No one deserves to take communion. Jesus, his forgiveness, is what sets us, is what sets us apart that we can receive of communion. Forgiveness is we are forgiven. If we are forgiven by Christ, we are, <laughs> we are in the right condition to receive communion. Some people think that because they did something wrong, well, if, you, if you're the only one that's never sinned, let me know. <laughs> you know, you're breaking the scriptures. He said, the Bible says all have sinned. All right, so we've all done something wrong. But if we judge ourselves in the right way, not just a condemning attitude, but in a right way, then God would not judge us. So if we look at the scriptures and we use the scriptures as a, an outline for our life, we are seeing that God is, he, he, anything that we're doing that is wrong, our, the spirit, his spirit will prick our spirit, our conscience to say, don't do that. Don't go in that direction. Don't do that anymore. You used to do it, but now I don't want you to do that anymore. Okay, so those are the things as we continue to mature and grow, 
God enables us to understand and grow closer to him. But the Lord judges us. He punishes us to show us the right way. He does this so that we will not be condemned with the world. So the, the goal of Jesus is that none be lost. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So the challenge then for us is to recognize what God, what does God require of us? To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love others as yourself. <laughs> you know, everything hangs on those two commandments. So here are some observations. The Lord's Supper is primarily designed to stimulate our heart's remembrance of the person and the work of Jesus. We are to be stimulated. <laughs> we are to be recognizing that God died for our sins. That's why we take of this, the communion. This remembers and tells tangible elements. There is bread and there is juice, tangible. And that the elements of bread and juice give us a, give to a give to stir our minds and our hearts. They are physical actions of eating and drinking and bringing to our remembrance what Jesus did the night that he was betrayed. He gave his disciples bread. He gave them wine. He, for us, he gave us juice. So we are replicating what happened that night. It is a personal remembrance. I am personally taking of this bread. I am personally looking at my heart and my life and reflecting on God's word. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the remembering that there is a confession. Before I receive this, I must confess. And the idea of confession is whether I've sinned in thought, word, or deed, God forgive me. For no one is perfect, <laughs> no one is without sin, and we, whether, uh, I don't want to say we, we all sin every day, I, I don't, you know. But the idea is, if we've done anything wrong that stands between God and us, we want to make sure that it's a clean slate. Because this in itself is not sacred. It's not holy. It is holy and sacred because we pray about it and we place a sacredness to it. Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, broke bread. So I take the bread. And as he gave it to his disciples, I take the bread and I eat it. And as Jesus passed the cup, he, it is the cup he gave, and he said, this is my blood. This is the blood of the New Testament. So what sets apart the New Testament is the relationship with Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin it is now sacred because of what I attach to it. And so I personally ask for confession. I personally proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. <laughs> you see, this is not only looking back, it is also knowing we have a future in heaven with him until he returns. And that we have the keeping power of God in this moment. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always. So to partake in the Lord's table, <laughs> unworthy, well, is to take it without regard 
to its true worth. People who would be uh, complacent, you know, it doesn't really matter, let's just get this over with. <laughs> Lightheartedly, they give no thought to what it really means, that the elements signify nothing, they're just juice and bread, the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That is unworthy. You see, the Lord's Supper is a place where forgiveness of sin is proclaimed and is offered. Forgiveness and eternal life is offered to us. Not this doesn't forgive us. Jesus forgives us. We receive this in response to his promise, do this in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is a place where forgiveness of sin is proclaimed and is offered. Paul's warning was not to those who longed for forgiveness. His warning was to those who were making a mockery, those who were doing the offering to idols and coming into the church and taking this, and it doesn't really matter what it was. I worship that God. I worship this God. And Paul says, you're making a mockery of it. You're not doing it. You're drinking it unworthily, and you will. That will not work. So to be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord is to treat it as common or profane something that is sacred. And hence we have the word, let a man examine himself. Test our motives. Find out why are we doing this. We're doing this because Jesus asked us to. Nowhere, you know, if, if there's anything that, that Jesus asks us, you know, speaks to us personally, he, he speaks to us personally that we are, he told the disciples and us, he says to each of us, do this in remembrance of me. That's his word to us. And whenever we do this in remembrance of his word, we are then remembering the covenant, the promise that Jesus has attached to this, that we belong to him. The juice, the bread, they're only sacred because of what I place on them. They're just pieces of bread and juice. But when I set them aside, they become sacred. So communion was an expression of God's gracious commitment to preserve his people. It is his union between us and God. It is his union to be with us. And we find that as... Uh, uh, the communion is a personal remembrance. We are remembering Jesus. We're remembering what he said to us. And remembering there is also this confession. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Amen. You come back to the piano and sing. We're going to sing in a moment. But um, bring your communion with you. <laughs> In this remembrance, we also proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this is a sacred time. It is a holy time. It's the time that we set aside in a service to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so we make it holy. <laughs> we make it sacred. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you died for our sins. We thank you that you established a new covenant, a new agreement with us, that our sins are forgiven. There is a place for us in heaven. 
You go to prepare a place for us that where you are, we will be also. God, we know that your death on the cross was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That your body was broken for us. Lord, we thank you for that great sacrifice. Lord, let us examine ourselves. And if there is any wickedness in us or any sin in us, any wrongdoing in thought, word, or deed, we ask you, O Lord, to forgive us. Forgive us, O Lord. Cleanse our hearts. Renew a right spirit within us. Let us never be in a place where we are being sacrilegious and flippant about who you are and what you've done. But let our hearts be pure in their motives and let us face, face you with the truth of your word that because you live, we shall live also. If we confess our sins, we will be forgiven. We are forgiven. And we thank you for this and by your stripes, we are healed. We ask your blessing on these elements that represent your body and blood. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'll read again 1 Corinthians 11. The teaching I gave you is the same that I received from the Lord. On that night, on the night when the Lord Jesus was handed over to be killed, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, he divided the bread and said, This is my body, it is for you. Eat this to remember me. Let us take of the bread. In the same way, after they ate, Jesus took the cup and he said, This cup represents the new agreement from God, which begins with my blood sacrifice. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let us drink of the cup. Jesus, we are thankful. <laughs> we thank you for loving us that much that you would die upon the cross for my sin and that you would go to the cross if it was just for me, for each one of us, Lord. You would do it for just one of us. We thank you that you loved us that much. We thank you for the truth of your word and the reality of what this stands for. Lord, we do it in remembering you. And let our hearts and our minds recognize the sacredness of this moment. That you, Lord Jesus, died for our sins. But Lord, you also promised <laughs> that we would drink it anew with you in the kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your resurrection that because you are resurrected from the dead, we also will rise again. Thank you, Jesus, for this newness of life. Let's all stand, shall we? And as we recognize what Christ has done for us, we know that we are safe in the arms of our Father. The assurance that we have in knowing Jesus. And we participate in what he asks us to do. And it gives to us that assurance if ever I fall, he's there. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. It is a new agreement, not what the old agreement was in the Old Testament, but the new agreement. 
He loves us, died for us, rose from the dead, and we are his for eternity. Amen? God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Ha, ha, ha.